The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. Good morning, I'm Nathan Hager. And I'm Amy Morris. Here are the stories we're following today. We're going to begin with the deal in the Middle East. Israel and Hamas have come to an agreement that will see dozens of hostages freed from Gaza in return for a four-day pause in the fighting and the release of Palestinian prisoners. Bloomberg's Simon Marks begins our team coverage in Tel Aviv. In the fine print of the deal, there is an opportunity for additional days of, of so-called pause. Uh, Israel have said that for every 10 additional hostages, they would be willing to add an additional day of pause in the war. But at the same time, uh, Benjamin Netanyahu, the prime minister, has been very clear to say this does not mean the end of the conflict and that their original goals to eradicate Hamas and de-radicalize uh, Gaza, etc., is, is still very much the state today. Bloomberg Simon Mark says the pause is expected to begin tomorrow morning. This temporary ceasefire was pushed for by the U.S. and its allies. We get more from Bloomberg political contributor Jeannie Sheehan-Zeno. It is a big, big um, move forward for many people because it's really the first diplomatic breakthrough we've seen since the war began after the October 7th attack. But it comes with so much trepidation and so many questions. This is not a ceasefire. It's a pause. It comes also as a result of enormous pressure both inside Israel and internationally that the Israeli government has been feeling particularly from the relatives of these 236 hostages. Bloomberg contributor Jeannie Sheehan-Zeno says three Americans will be among the hostages leaving Gaza. And Amy, another major story we're following this morning is the return of Sam Altman to OpenAI. Just days after he was fired, then hired by Microsoft, Sam Altman is back as CEO and the board at OpenAI is in for an overhaul. We get more from Bloomberg Intelligence Analyst Matthew Bloxham. I kind of think you know, the, the board were backed into a, a corner and, you know, I think they risk just um, seeing the, the company unravel. Um, so I don't think they had really, really any choice. I think from here, the, the big questions are going to be, OK, what, what, what's the detail? What, what, you know, beyond a new board that looks more supportive of Sam Altman, are there going to be more profound changes to the structure of the company? Uh, what does this mean for the possible IPO? Um, how are they going to kind of commercialise things like ChatGPT more effectively uh, to kind of take advantage of the opportunity that's there. Matt Bloxham with Bloomberg Intelligence says the initial board will be led by Brett Taylor, a former co-CEO of Salesforce. Other directors include Quora CEO Adam D'Angelo and Larry Summers, the former Treasury Secretary and a paid contributor to Bloomberg. And sources say Microsoft is also likely to get representation on the new board, certainly as an observer, possibly with one or more board seats. In a post on X, Microsoft CEO Satya Nadella praised the changes at OpenAI, calling them, quote, a first essential step on a path to a more stable, well-informed and effective governance. On a very busy morning, Amy, we're also following market reaction to one of the most highly anticipated earnings reports. Shares of NVIDIA are down nearly 1% in early trading. That's despite an earnings blowout that went past analyst estimates. We get more on that from Bloomberg Technology reporter Ed Ludlow in San Francisco. 
We go to the outlook for the fiscal fourth quarter. Sales would be $20 billion plus or minus 2%. And while that's a really strong outlook, there was some commentary from NVIDIA that they expect sales or shipments of GPUs to China to drop in the current period or the fiscal fourth quarter as a direct result of the expanded US technology export curbs. What we're talking about is NVIDIA's inability to ship the cutting edge GPUs to the Chinese market, but they were very clear that will be offset by demand from other markets around the world. Bloomberg's Ed Ludlow says another reason behind NVIDIA's drop was its run-up this year. NVIDIA was already higher by more than 240 percent. And a big name in the cryptocurrency space is taking a legal fall. Binance, the world's largest crypto exchange, has pleaded guilty to anti-money laundering and sanctions violations. Attorney General Merrick Garland says Binance failed to stop suspicious transactions with terror groups, including Hamas, and violated several laws, including the Bank Secrecy Act. These laws ensure that our financial institutions are not available to designated terrorist organizations, drug traffickers, and sanctioned nation-states that threaten public safety and our national security. Attorney General Garland says Binance will pay $4.3 billion under the deal, and its CEO, CZ Zhao, will step down and pay a $50 million fine. Zhao could face up to 10 years in prison, but is expected to serve no more than 18 months. And on the economic front, Amy, investors will have to navigate a number of reports this morning. Almost all of Thursday and Friday's numbers have been compressed into today. So let's get a preview now from Bloomberg's Michael McKay. The marquee release is initial jobless claims. Wall Street wants to know if last week's surprise jump to 231,000 was a one-off or a sign the labor market is starting to cool significantly. October durable goods orders, meanwhile, will offer the first clues to business spending plans in the fourth quarter. A drop in Boeing jet sales may depress the overall headline number, while capital goods orders, a proxy for business spending in GDP, are forecast to eke out only a marginal gain. Finally, the University of Michigan's final reading of consumer sentiment for November may influence some investors' views of holiday season consumer spending. Michael McKee, Bloomberg Radio. All right, thank you, Nathan. Time now for a look at some of the other stories making news around the world. And for that, we're joined by Bloomberg's John Tucker. Good morning, John. And good morning, Amy. The Pentagon confirming it conducted an airstrike against Iranian-backed militants operating out of Iraq. Let's get more on the story this morning from Bloomberg's Ed Baxter. The Pentagon says it was in response to several short-range missile attacks. Pentagon spokeswoman Sabrina Singh. Immediately following the attack, a U.S. military AC-130 aircraft in the area conducted a self-defense strike against an Iranian-backed militia vehicle and a number of Iranian-backed militia personnel involved in this attack. This self-defense strike resulted in some hostile fatalities. Singh says some U.S. service members were injured in the attack. She also says the U.S. conducted three additional strikes in Syria. Ed Baxter, Bloomberg Radio. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis secured the endorsement of influential Iowa conservative Bob Vanderplatz. Vanderplatz backing is the second major endorsement for DeSantis in Iowa this month, following Governor Kim Reynolds. Both Vanderplatz and Reynolds are influential among evangelical voters, a sizable block of the state. DeSantis is making a make-or-break push in that state, banking on a strong showing that can give him momentum to stay in the race. Polls show DeSantis trailing Donald Trump by over 45 points. 
For those early holiday travelers leaving before dawn to avoid the rush may work in some parts of the nation, but not in other parts. Bloomberg meteorologist Rob Carolyn. Most of the country looking good for travel on this Wednesday ahead of the big Thanksgiving Day holiday. We have problems, though, in the eastern United States with rain from North Florida along the coastal Carolinas and into parts of New England, especially northern New England, where we'll be dealing with some snow today. The Pacific Northwest will also deal with precipitation, rain likely at the lower elevations with snow in the mountains. Today is one of the busiest travel days of the year. A Florida judge has ruled Tesla's trial over a 2019 fatal crash blamed on autopilot will include a claim against the company for punitive damages. The judge in Palm Beach County cited evidence that shows CEO Elon Musk and staff engineers knew its driver assistance system was defective. Global News 24 hours a day and whenever you want it with Bloomberg News Now. I'm John Tucker, and this is Bloomberg, Amy. All right. Thank you, John. Time now for our Bloomberg Sports Update. For that, we bring in John Stashauer. Amy, only two weeks to go in the college football regular season, and the college football playoff committee out with its latest poll last night. Georgia remains number one with Ohio State second, Michigan third. Those two teams play each other Saturday in Ann Arbor. A change at the four spot, Washington moving ahead of Florida State. The committee denying that it's due to Florida State having just lost its quarterback, Jordan Travis, to a season-ending injury. Oregon is currently sixth. We'll play Oregon State on Friday. Texas is seventh. The Longhorns play Texas Tech on Friday. And Alabama is eighth. And the Crimson Tide play the Iron Bowl game against Auburn on Saturday. College basketball, a lot of the top teams of the nation have gone to Maui. Number one, Kansas lost to fourth-ranked Marquette, 73-59. Second-ranked Purdue, a 71-67 victory over seventh-ranked Tennessee. In the NBA, a game between Indiana and Atlanta and both teams scored over 150 points. That's only the seventh time that's ever happened in NBA history. The Pacers beat the Hawks 157 to 152. Both teams shot 60% from the field. San Diego Padres have named Mike Schilt their new manager. He managed the Cardinals for four years, got them into the playoffs three times. He replaces Bob Melvin, who left the Padres to go to the Giants. Willie Hernandez, who won the Cy Young Award and the MVP in 1984 pitching for the Tigers, has passed away at 69. John Stashauer, Bloomberg Sports. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum, powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. From coast to coast, from New York to San Francisco, Boston to Washington, D.C., nationwide on Sirius XM, the Bloomberg Business App, and Bloomberg.com, this is Bloomberg Daybreak. 
Good morning, I'm Nathan Hager. The relentless war in Gaza since Hamas's October 7th attack on Israel looks like it's taking a pause. Both sides have reached a deal that will see Hamas release dozens of hostages in exchange for Palestinian prisoners. And for more on this agreement, we are joined by Bloomberg News senior editor Bill Ferries. Bill, thanks for being with us. Let's start off first with the terms of this deal. What exactly have Israel and Hamas agreed to after these days of talks? Well, what we know from both sides and from the Qataris, who have been really uh, kind of leading the mediation efforts here, is that uh, within the next uh, less than 24 hours now at this point, a, uh, a what we call a humanitarian pause in the conflict will go into effect. Uh, Hamas has agreed to free initially 50 hostages. We expect these to be uh, women and children who were taken when they uh, stormed into Israel on October 7th. Uh, in return, Israel will begin looking at releasing uh, perhaps dozens of Palestinian prisoners, also likely to be women and children. Uh, but the interesting thing about this is it's a four-day pause, but there's a potential for an extension here if Hamas agrees to release more hostages. So basically for every uh, additional 10 hostages that Hamas releases, that extends the pause by a day. Remember, uh, Israel estimates about 240 people were taken hostage uh, during those October 7th attacks. So this has the potential to extend the deal quite a bit. Uh, in return, uh, as I said, Hamas gets uh, some prisoner releases from Israeli prisons. They also uh, get uh, an end to overflights and bombing airstrikes of, uh, of Gaza in that time. And, uh, and really uh, the chance to get a lot more aid flowing in. Uh, in terms of medical supplies and fuel for nonprofit groups that do uh, humanitarian work. So uh, all sides, I think, had an interest at this point in getting uh, reaching a deal. Uh, there were a lot of hiccups in the process, but it looks like it should be going into effect uh, within the coming day. Let's talk about some of those hiccups, because, as you know, Bill, Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu had said uh, as these talks were underway that he wouldn't agree to any pause at all unless all the hostages were freed. So what did it take to get at least this kind of a deal done, the possibility that we could see more pauses and this potential for a trickle of hostages to be released over time? Well, you're right. It wasn't clear at all that a deal would ever happen. Qatar got involved uh, soon after those October 7th attacks uh, and started trying to find a way to focus really on hostages and getting them back. Uh, the U.S., the Biden administration uh, was was deeply involved in these talks as well. And you're right. They did. Uh, there was this push to have all hostages released at once. That didn't seem to be getting much traction. Uh, and Hamas came back with an offer of 50. Uh, 50 hostages in one tranche, and then uh, and then p potentially more in the coming days. What we know is that the the, the leader of Qatar continued to stay very engaged in this, um, and we uh, what we what we ended up seeing um, was uh, was really uh, an agreement to kind of kind of uh, bridge that divide with the 50. Uh, President Biden had a had a conversation with President uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu at one point. And uh, they really felt like uh, this was probably the best deal they could get for now. The U.S. was really encouraged by the early release of a couple Americans uh, who were taken in the October 7th raid. And uh, and they basically built on that. So they went from an initial request of 50 to uh, to what could be uh, 
dozens more than that. We kind of have to see where it goes. But the priority was always on uh, initially on women and children and the elderly uh, civilians, and then looking more at uh, at soldiers from both sides. And I think that's where talks on further releases will get more complicated. And even as we see this deal uh, get implemented, as you say, uh, possibly as soon as after tomorrow, Prime Minister Netanyahu is saying that this won't mean that the war itself is coming to an end. What should we expect when it comes to the fighting and the progress that Israel wants to make against Hamas uh, once this potentially initial pause takes effect? Yeah, I mean, I think it's important to note that all sides are calling this a pause. Uh, I think I've seen the word truce, a temporary truce, things like that. No one is calling this an end to the conflict before they voted to uh, to accept this agreement. They've said that uh, the war will continue. They, can, they want to go after uh, eliminating Hamas and uh, returning all the hostages. And they said, you know, when this truce ends, they will uh, they will go back and the fighting will resume. So it's a, it's an important, significant step here, but it's not the end of the conflict as we know it. Okay, Bill Ferries, uh, Bloomberg News Senior Editor, uh, joining us this morning after we learned that a deal has been struck now between Israel and Hamas uh, to pause the fighting in exchange for hostage releases, uh, at least some of the hostages initially uh, being released from Gaza. Now we want to turn to the latest deal at OpenAI, this saga that began last Friday may be over after intense pressure from investors sam altman is returning as the ceo of the chat gpt parent company and the board at OpenAI looks like it is about to go through a serious overhaul let's bring in alex webb for more on this story he covers tech for us for bloomberg news and has been following this since the sudden ouster last friday and now the sudden return help us make sense of this alex I mean, it's a big victory for Microsoft, essentially. The thing that appears to have happened, and this is what some of the reporting suggests last week, is that one of the reasons Sam Altman was ousted was concerned that he was prioritizing the commercial impulses of the company over what actually is his mandate, namely to improve, and this genuinely is the wording, it is to work for the benefit of all humanity. Um, now, Microsoft is almost certainly going to be getting greater oversight, greater sway at a board level over what happens at OpenAI. The company is therefore going to be run ever so slightly more in the interest of Microsoft, not necessarily in the interest of all humanity. Uh, the three members have been appointed to the board, Adam D'Angelo, the CEO of Quora, who was already on there. The new ones are going to be Larry Summers, um, of course, former Treasury Secretary under, under Bill Clinton, and uh, 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 Brett Taylor, the former co-CEO of Salesforce. There are going to be as many as nine additional board members. Um, the expectation is that perhaps two of those could be representatives of Microsoft and Altman himself could well rejoin the board. And we should note, uh, in the interest of transparency, that uh, Larry Summers, uh, along with uh, joining the board at OpenAI, is a paid contributor to Bloomberg. With these additions, at least initial additions to the board, Alex, it sounds like that could be the bigger deal here than just simply the return of Sam Altman as the CEO. 
Yeah, the thing we'd heard on Monday from Satya Nadella, the Microsoft CEO, in an interview with Bloomberg Television, he had said he wanted improvements to governance at uh, OpenAI. Um, it seems as though the board composition was the sticking point and why it took a, few, a good few days to reach a resolution, given that we'd heard as early as Sunday that there were, uh, there were moves from both sides to bring Sam Altman back into the fold. Uh, when Nadella says he wants improvements to governance, everybody, more or less, um, understood that to mean he wanted Microsoft to have better insight. Because this completely blindsided Microsoft, this firing of Sam Altman and subsequent departure of Greg Brockman, um, the, the, the president of the company, uh, Microsoft had no for, um, forewarning of that. They learned it pretty much at the same time the rest of the world did. I, the understanding is it was maybe a few minutes before they put the press release out or the, the post on their website up. So, you know, surprises for big businesses are not considered good. And that's clearly something that Microsoft wanted to fix. To your point earlier about uh, this signaling, uh, the idea that uh, this could take the open AI in the direction of uh, where Microsoft wants to go, as opposed to uh, the betterment of humanity. Talk a little bit more about what this could mean for open AI and the competition, this massive competition that we're seeing between Microsoft and so many of the other players in the artificial intelligence space. What could this mean down the line? So there are basically four big players, certainly in the Western Hemisphere, in the in you know advanced artificial intelligence research. There's DeepMind, which is now Google DeepMind. It is part of Google. There is Microsoft, I'm sorry, Meta AI Research, um, clearly part of Meta. There is. OpenAI, which is very closely aligned with Microsoft. And there is also then Anthropic, which was um, founded by a bunch of departees from OpenAI a few years ago. Google, Google, Microsoft, and Amazon are the ones really competing in the cloud. And at the moment, the real way to make money from AI is in the cloud. It is from not necessarily selling the AI services to companies to use. It's the processing power needed to run those AI services. And that's where the margin really is. Google, Microsoft, Amazon can compete very fiercely in that space. Microsoft um, has this huge benefit from the um, relationship with OpenAI, but it does not technically own OpenAI in the way that Google owns DeepMind. So that is, that, that's really the, the lay of the land when it comes to the battlefield. This will help Microsoft potentially by hewing them more closely still to their long-term business goals. Let's talk about the other AI story that everyone was waiting for even before last Friday. Of course, that's the earnings from NVIDIA. Another is a solid quarter, but the shares are dropping ever so slightly this morning. What's the disconnect? I mean, look, the expectations for this company are absolutely sky high. There was heading into the numbers some expectation that essentially a beat is, is a meet, right? People were expecting them to beat expectations. And if they didn't completely blow expectations out of the water, then there might be a little bit of profit taking. That certainly looks like what is happening now, that the shares have been on such a tear in recent months. There's an opportunity for you know some investors to maybe just cash in a little bit on that. It doesn't appear to be anything particularly catastrophic. There's still a lot of growth left in this company, the only the only question mark heading forward is what is the exposure to China? They want more exposure, but it looks as though the government is cracking down on some of that. How big an impact will that have? This is Bloomberg Daybreak Today, your morning brief on the stories making news from Wall Street to Washington and beyond. Look for us on your podcast feed by 6 a.m. Eastern each morning on Apple, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. You can also listen live each morning starting at 5 a.m. Wall Street time on Bloomberg 1130 in New York, Bloomberg 991 in Washington, Bloomberg 1061 in Boston, and Bloomberg 960 in San Francisco. 
Our flagship New York station is also available on your Amazon Alexa devices. Just say Alexa. Play Bloomberg 1130. Plus, listen coast to coast on the Bloomberg Business app, Sirius XM, the iHeartRadio app, and on Bloomberg.com. I'm Nathan Hager. And I'm Amy Morris. Join us again tomorrow morning for all the news you need to start your day right here on Bloomberg Daybreak. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com.